And now Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. To the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of the God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have few people inside us who have not soiled in their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in the white, for they are worthy. He who has overcome will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before the Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear, and what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, about 18 months ago, we were planning uh, where we were going to meet for our new church plant, our new congregation, 10.30. And um, I was visiting different locations, trying to find a venue that we could meet in. And I arranged a meeting with the owner of an empty church building, Chatswood South Uniting Church. You may, you may recognise it. it's on the corner of Mowbray Road and Pacific Highway. Beautiful, small, sandstone church. And uh, it's now owned by a property developer. So I got in touch with this guy and he gave me a tour through the church. We walked down the aisle and as I looked at the old pews and saw the beautiful organ, I imagined 40, 50 years ago them packed with people singing praises to Jesus. He took me outside into the courtyard, beautiful courtyard, big tree. I imagined God's people having morning tea, fellowship with one another, loving each other in word and deed. He took me out through the garden to the big Sunday school room, still there. Well, squatters are living in at the moment, but, uh, you know, I, I could imagine them packed with kids playing, laughing, singing songs about Jesus. And yet here it was, dead, owned by a property developer. And that's happened all across our city. On Wednesday, I passed Mossman Methodist Church. It's now an art gallery. In Lura, you can go to the great chocolate shop, which is in an old church that closed down. And often, if you're looking on real estate or domain, you can find those luxury houses that are old churches converted into a home and they sell for so much money. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. These are churches where their heart monitor, you know, when you're in a hospital, is flatlined. Boop. They're gone. Lifeless. Dead. And now, look, the, the news tries to make it out like this is happening everywhere. You know, Christianity is dying across the globe. That is not true. Christianity is growing at a faster rate than ever before. Asia, Africa, many new churches starting. And the church will never die. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is never going to die. But individual churches, individual churches can die. And actually, if you think about it, churches are just groups of Christians meeting together. 
Christians can die in their faith. Christians can grow sleepy. Their heart monitor starts to slow down into a dangerously slow pulse. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy because how does Jesus describe the churches in Revelation? As lampstands. We are to be shining as a light to the world, showing people how wonderful Jesus is, his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. What a tragedy when a church closes its doors. Now that's what's happening in Sardis. Unlike the other churches that we've seen so far in this, in this book, Sardis doesn't have a problem with sexual immorality, doesn't really have a problem with false teaching that we know of. Now look at their problem. Chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. As Jesus described, he's described as the one who holds the seven stars. That's the seven churches. In other words, Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of the church in Sardis. He's the Lord of 6 p.m. Neutral Bay. He's in charge. He's on the throne. And he sees everything. Now, the church in Sardis has a good reputation. You know, you would be saying to yourself back then, you'd be like, oh, I'd love to go to the church in Sardis. Have you heard about this cool church that's opened up? Wow, great. Oh, you go to church in Sardis. How good's that? I've seen your website. So well designed. Great graphics. I love your social media. So good. Great reputation. Everyone wants to go to the church in Sardis. Great reputation. But Jesus is the Lord of the church. Jesus can see, like an MRI, you know, you can see things that don't actually appear on the surface. Or you, you might go to a doctor and you think you're healthy, you might look healthy, you get a blood test and it reveals something's wrong. Jesus sees beyond the reputation. And he says, yeah, you've got a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And one of the things that turns you off maybe about Christianity is when Christians are hypocrites. They, they say they follow Jesus and live for him, but they're actually living a different way, not living for Jesus, not practicing what they preach. And you're thinking, yeah, I, I know on the surface, you put up the appearance, but I know inside you're lifeless. You know, Jesus hates religious hypocrisy too. He hates it. He sees right through it. And he says, you're dead. Though actually, they're not actually dead, the church in Sardis. Look, look at verse 2. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. You know, I think the church in Sardis, they are basically in the ICU. Uh, they're on life support. They're, they're on a breathing machine. I mean, their pulse is so slow. Boop, boop. They're almost there, almost gone. They've got a few breaths remaining. They're there on ICU. But they're not dead yet. And Jesus hasn't given up on them. Now, how do we make sure we don't become like the church in Sardis? 
Praise God, the Bridge Church is not dead. I do not think that at all. God's at work. Jesus is being proclaimed. People are coming to know him. We're living for Jesus. We're loving like Jesus. But there's still a warning for us. There's still a warning for us here. And for us individually, there's a warning. What are the warning signs? How do you you become a church like Sardis? How do you become a dying church? There's so many ways. Often it's when a Christian stops growing, stops actively living for Jesus, obeying the scriptures, hearing God speak, praying. Do you know, you really can't stand still as a Christian. You're either moving forward, growing, or you're moving backwards. You can't tread water. And when churches tread water and become complacent and don't grow, so often they die. A big reason churches, many churches die is that they become inward focused. Rather than focusing on the mission Jesus has given us, to share the good news of Jesus to a needy, dying world, to share the hope and forgiveness of Christ, Instead, churches, they become inward-focused, insular, clicky maybe. Oh, I like the people here at 6 p.m. I I know everyone. We're all good friends. We don't need to grow. It's all good. Or maybe the budget of the church becomes inward-focused. Spend more money on air conditioning than sharing the gospel or gospel ministry. Or maybe the Christians that come to church are focusing more on their preferences and uh, what they get out of church, rather than how they can serve. Often churches die when they compromise. It happens all the time. Churches say, well, gee, our numbers are running a little low here at 6 p.m., and our, we're not really hitting budget. So it's 2022. Here's what we need to do. If we want to grow, let's be more relevant. Let's stop preaching these things here, because the culture finds that pretty unpopular. Yeah, our culture doesn't really, that, that's not going to really fly. We'll get a bit of flack. So let's not preach that. If we become more relevant, we'll grow. The irony is that the opposite happens. The opposite, the churches die. And that has happened time after time after time again, not just in our city, but around the globe entire denominations that have tried to be relevant and compromise thinking they'll grow and the exact opposite happens and the ones that are faithful to the word of God are the ones that are thriving (laughs) because when you try and be just like the culture you've got nothing unique to offer it's just like everyone else often churches die when they lose their passion to pray or when the Christians in the church no longer fight sin, tolerate sin, and no longer try and repent and change. There's so many reasons why churches or Christians might fall asleep. Have a listen to this. This is what Daniel Aiken, one commentator, has written about the church in Sardis. This is what he says. They had grown content with a mediocre, halfway, comfortable and convenient Christianity. Their faith was not radical. It was almost invisible. 
the lost among whom they lived, worked and prayed, saw nothing different or unique about them. The culture did not oppose them. It simply ignored them as of no real consequence or significance. They were so weak in their confession of Christ that they bothered no one. Isn't that a powerful last line? They were so weak in their confession of Christ, they bothered no one. I'm going to ask you, 6 p.m., is this you? Maybe you have a reputation for being alive. Maybe, you, you know, you're serving in ministry, you're a connect group leader, you're in the music team, whatever it might be, and you used to serve in passionate ways, but you know on the inside, if Jesus did an MRI and saw into your heart, you know that your spiritual pulse is getting dangerously slow. You're no longer treasuring Jesus as the most wonderful, glorious Lord of your life. No longer hearing his voice, no longer seeking to live for him. You're coasting, you're becoming complacent. If that's you, can I encourage you to share it with someone? Let's be honest about these things. Share your struggles. I'd love to pray with you after church. And don't let it stay that way. Because Jesus doesn't want it to stay that way. Now, I've got to renew my first aid certificate soon. It's almost been three years. But I do remember how to resuscitate someone, how to do CPR. Doctors A, B, C, D. So uh, danger... Uh, response, send for help, airways, breathing, compression, defibrillator. Have I got that right? Yep, great. Now, that was seven steps to resuscitating a dying person. I want to give you five steps to resuscitating a dying church. Five steps. Here's the first one. Look at verse two. The first step to resuscitating a dying church is wake up. That's what Jesus says, verse 2, wake up. I wonder how many of you, your alarm goes off in the morning and you just press that snooze button and you press it again and you press it again. Have you heard of those alarm clocks that are on wheels and they, they go off and they start racing around your house and to turn it off, you actually have to catch it and, you know, turn it off? Yeah, Jesus kind of wants to... So many Christians are just pressing the snooze button. We're complacent, we're sleepy in our faith. And you know what? The devil, he loves a sleepy Christian. He loves a sleepy Christian. He loves it when we're complacent and we're not actively living for Jesus. He loves it. You know, the city of Sardis itself was very sleepy. They were surrounded by cliffs on three sides. They thought that no one could ever attack them. No one could ever invade. They thought, we're invincible here in Sardis. How good is this? Didn't bother investing in all that. Defence. And then one day in the middle of the night, people worked out how to climb down the cliffs and they were invaded. Complacent. And they're overcome. Same with the church in Sardis. The church is sleepy. The church is complacent. And when you're sleepy... Bad things can happen. Think about it. When you're driving a car, you have a micro-sleep. We're always warned about micro-sleeps. One second you might be asleep for, 
and it could end in a catastrophe. And if we stay sleepy as a Christian, we're heading on a highway to destruction. It's dangerous. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, can I plead with you to investigate Jesus, to read the Bible for yourself, because to wake up to who Jesus is, it is the most important decision you ever make. If you're a Christian here tonight and you're sleepy, please would you wake up before it's too late. Second step to resuscitating a dying church. Strengthen what remains. See there, verse 2. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Hope is not lost for Sardis. They're about to die. Their pulse is pretty dangerously low. They're in ICU. But there's hope. Jesus wants them to take, there's still something there. There's still some sense of faith in Jesus and trust. I think they're still Christians, actually. I think they are. There's still some sense of faith. And Jesus wants them to take that and strengthen it. Um, last week, I went over to James Galea's house. He's one of our pastors here, and he has a fire pit. And so he invited me over, and we, you know, we had, had the fire going, and uh, just enjoying each other's company. And the night started. It was raging fire. It was very impressive. It got to about 9 p.m., and it had totally died down, just glowing embers. So what did we do? It was almost going out, but we tried to revive it. Tried to give it some oxygen, put in some kindling. I went and got the gasoline. No, I didn't do that. And after, after a bit of help, and we'd, we'd revived that fire. It was back. It was going again. From dying embers, strengthened, back to a fire. And Jesus is saying... That little bit that's remaining, that bit of faith and hope and trust in you, strengthen it. Keep going. Step by step. Before it's too late, before the fire goes out. There's an urgency here, isn't it? There's an urgency. Actually take your faith seriously. Keep living for Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Read the scriptures before it is too late. Third step to resuscitating a dying church. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Look at verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. What does he mean, what you've received and heard? He's talking about the gospel. The good news of Jesus. That Jesus has died for us on that cross, paying for all our sins. That he's risen again from the grave. That if we trust Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're his children. He is our king. We have a hope of eternal life. It's the best news in the world of his grace and his love and his mercy. And we've got to keep remembering that day after day after day. Keep preaching that gospel to ourselves. Never assume that the people you're sitting next to at 6 p.m. know the gospel. 
Never assume that the people in your connect group know and remember the gospel. We've got to keep preaching it to ourselves. I wonder if you've heard the saying, what is proclaimed in the first generation is assumed in the second generation. It's forgotten in the third generation and denied in the fourth. So the first generation of the church, they're preaching the gospel, but it's the second generation that really stuffs up. They're the problem ones. Because they go, oh, we know the gospel here at the Bridge Church. We know it. Everyone knows about Jesus dying and right and then forgiveness. And let's focus on some other things, you know, because let's go a bit deeper and, you know, stretch it. And we assume. Third generation then forgets, fourth generation denies. And that's the story of so many churches that have died and shut their doors. We're always generational two away from losing the gospel. And so Jesus says, hold it fast. Keep, keep preaching it. Keep living in obedience to Jesus. Keep holding on to the gospel. Tim Keller says that the gospel isn't the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. You don't become a Christian, hear the gospel, and then go, well, oh, cool, I've got that now. I'm going to graduate onto something deeper. We need to keep coming back to the foot of the cross day after day after day and bathing in his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his grace. You know, often churches die when they... It's not that they forget the gospel, but they make something else the main thing instead of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. So let me give you an example. Caring for the poor. That is so important. Caring for We're commanded to do it as Christians. I love that we go to a church that does stuff to care for the poor. I think we need to do more, actually. So important. But it's not the main thing we're called to do as Christians. It flows out of the main thing, which is the good news of Jesus dying and rising again and his forgiveness and his love. It flows out of that, but it's not the main thing. And so many churches make important things the main thing. It happens in secular organisations as well. I think it's called mission drift. It happens in all kinds of organisations, and it happens in the church. We've got to hold on to the gospel, hold it fast. Here's a bit of a test about whether we really are holding on to the gospel. If we really hold on to it, we want to proclaim it. We want people to become Christians. We want people to be saved and be rescued from sin and death and judgment and know the love of Jesus. And so if we're really holding on to it. Are we sharing Jesus with our friends, with our family, with the world? Fourth step to resuscitating a dying church Repent. See it there in verse 3, repent. That's what the church of Sardis needs to do. They say sorry to God for their complacency, hypocrisy, for their lack of passion, for forgetting the gospel. And you know, 6 p.m., anytime you come back to God and repent, he's always ready to forgive. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. Maybe you need to repent tonight and come back to him. And the fifth and the last step to resuscitate a dying church is to listen to the warning. 
Listen to the warning. Have a look at the second half of verse 3. If you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know at what time I will come to you. You see, if the church in Sardis doesn't wake up anytime soon, they're going to face Jesus' judgment. It might be his judgment on the final day. I actually think here it's talking about another time when Jesus will come sooner than that to maybe remove their lampstand, as Revelation talks about it. And when Jesus comes to judge, he comes like a thief. Now, a thief comes out of the blue. You know, a thief doesn't ring you up and say, hey, I'm planning to rob your house. When is a convenient time for you for me to come? It's a surprise. And that's why we've got to repent. That's why we've got to remember the gospel and, and, and strengthen what remains because Jesus will otherwise come as a judge. So there are the five steps. But notice the promise. If you do that, look at the promise that's given. It's beautiful. Verse 4. Yet you have some people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. If you're faithful for Jesus, you'll be clothed in white. It's a symbol of purity. You're forgiven. You're holy and you're living for Jesus in a holy life. And your name's in the book of life. And later we see in Revelation 13 that the book of life is the name it belongs to the Lamb, belongs to Jesus who died. The book of life is the names of the people who trust Jesus, who Jesus has forgiven. If you live for him faithfully, your name is guaranteed in that book. You are forgiven now and you have the hope of eternal life. It is a promise, as secure as anything. And he'll acknowledge your name before the Heavenly Father. He will say to God the Father, that's Andrew, he's mine. That's Amy, she's mine. Is that you? Are you washed clean by the blood of the Lamb? Are you in those white clothes? Have you asked for forgiveness? Five steps. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember the gospel. Repent. Hear the warning. And if you do that, what a great promise is before us. Now, I remember from my CPR course that uh, there are plenty of times when you're doing CPR and you, you mean you've got to keep going. You've got to keep trying to resuscitate, but you actually need to wait you know, for the paramedic to come because you're not able to do it. You, you've got to give a task, you keep going, but sometimes you just need that paramedic to come because it's out of your control. You're powerless. It's the same with reviving a church. We can't do it on our own. We can't revive a church. We can't revive a dead Christian. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the spirit of revival. We need God's spirit. That's why Jesus is described as the one who holds the seven spirits of God. That word seven means fullness in Revelation. 
Jesus is the one with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If we want revival 6 p.m., if we want dead Christians to wake up, if we want people to become Christians, we need to pray for the Spirit of God to work because only he can bring life. We've got to pray for revival here at 6 p.m., in Nutribray, Cremorne, in Mossman, in Kirribilli, in our schools, our unis, our workplaces, and only the Spirit can resuscitate dead souls and bring them to Jesus. So let me finish with a quote from J.C. Ryle. And listen to how he talks about how the Holy Spirit is the only person who can bring dead souls to life. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. Pray daily for a great outpouring of the Spirit on the church and on the world. This is the great need of the day. It is the thing we need far more than money, machinery, and men. We need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where he is, there will be life, health, growth, and fruitfulness. Where he is not, all will be dead, tame, formal, sleepy, and cold. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray right now tonight for your spirit to be reviving hearts in this room. For Christians in this room who are sleepy, complacent, cruising, would you wake us up? Would you, by your spirit, strengthen what remains and spur us on and help us to remember the gospel? For people we know and love who do not know Jesus, would you revive their hearts? Would you bring revival? May they come to know your faith, your, your mercy and your love. Holy Spirit, only you can do this. We love you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. And we pray, Father, that you would bring revival. For your glory we pray.